welcome to the B2B Marketing Podcast. My name is David Rowlands. I'm the Head of Content at B2B Marketing and Propolis, which is the global community for B2B marketers. And I'm joined today by Sophie Bokit, who is the CMO at international law firm Bird and Bird. So Sophie, thank you. How are you, uh, how are you doing today? Really good, thank you. Thanks, David, for having me on. No worries, anytime. Um, I, obviously, we're going to talk about uh, a lot of things to do with the world of brand today in B2B. Um, but before we do that, can you maybe just tell us a bit about yourself, your background in B2B and, and your current role at Bird & Bird? Yep, sure. So I started off um, in PR, actually, on agency side, always working with professional services firms for some reason. Um, <laughs> so did that for a number of years and then moved in-house actually to Bird & Bird. So then I expanded across more into the marketing and the communication side more broadly in-house before coming up to the CMO role in March 2020, just as we went into lockdown. So that was good fun. <laughs> um, currently now as CMO, I cover um, three central teams who cover sort of functions around marketing and communications, our business development team and our key client account management as well. Fantastic. So I know that you uh, recently led a brand refresh at Bird and Bird. And I, as I understand it, you know, you put a lot of emphasis on building that emotional connection with the audience. So before we go into exactly what you did, what do you mean by emotional connection exactly? Yeah, so for us, I think we wanted to strip away a little bit that kind of corporate veneer and actually mm. recognise and celebrate the fact that um, we have a lot of people who are making up our firm and our common ethos, and that's actually what unites us and does really represent our brand. Um, I think sometimes we forget that B2B is all actually mm. about those human connections, and um, we are definitely in professional services still a people business, and often purchases are driven by more personal factors mm. than some people might think. Um, clients still want to look good in front of their boards. They still want to work with people that they actually like, so we wanted to celebrate that a little bit and really have that not set to one side, but actually a, a key consideration in our brand and what we brought forward and how we try to celebrate our people yeah. as part of that offering. Sure. Is that something that you think, you know, there's there's a lack of in B2B, that kind of emotional connection? Do you think we're still in that world where, um, you know, we're going very corporate not very not very sort of human if you like yeah exactly and I think either you can look at it through the lens of products you know in in wider b2b maybe where you've got software that you're selling or things like that it is around sort of the features of the the particular product and I think in professional services and in law definitely there is still that very sort of corporate veneer I think really there's um there's people sort of putting up a front um, and trying to present a business face, which of course is understandable, but yeah. still not really realising that the human element is ticking away underneath that. And that's more often than not where buyers are really making their decisions. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, a lot of our listeners are obviously in the world of marketing, so they'll they'll get mm. where you're coming from. Did you find it was a bit of a challenge when you were talking to the board about this? Did you have to sort of sell them on, on what you were trying to do? A little bit, but I think I do have a bit of an easier gig than some mm. others because at my firm there's a strong emphasis on IP we started off as a small intellectual property firm um, and built up over time so we understand intangible assets we've always had a slightly quirky um, kooky sort of approach our website URL is two birds and I've had people in interviews say that they want to join the team because of that fact so within right. the legal industry we're known for being a bit quirky and a bit different. And I think a lot of my stakeholders 
understand the importance mm. of brand and so kind of lean into that. Um, but still, some of what we were showing them was was still a bit um, of a, a new thing for people to get their heads around. Yeah, of course. I think... Um you know, it's quite easy to understand how people build an emotional connection with a B2C brand, you know, your favourite food or your favourite, um, I mean, it could even be a, your, your favourite clothes brand or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, in B2B, I, I'm sure that emotional connection does exist. I'm not saying it doesn't, but I feel like it might be a slightly different type of connection. So in your mind, what does that emotional connection between your customers and Bird and Bird look like? So I think... It's centred around the work that we do, and it's probably one of those reasons mm. why you get so many TV dramas about corporate law. You know, <laughs> it can be quite exciting for um, a business that's going through transformational M&A or maybe a big piece of litigation. Actually, those emotions do come to the surface. Mm. For them, it can be very exciting or very stressful and some yeah. real sort of pinpoints that they're going to remember in the course of their career. Um, so it's higher stakes than shampoo you're going to buy etc not necessarily (laughs) (laughs) that's what I've always actually really liked about professional services and there's an interesting dynamic where the people who are often selling the services are the ones actually delivering the advice delivering Mm. the service as well Um, so the values that you're trying to get across in the brand are either really reinforced by the Mm. individuals who are then helping their clients through these issues uh, or not if it starts to break down so whether you live up to that brand promise or not is maybe felt a bit more acutely and we see this in our client feedback all the time you know it's not a functional review of a product and its features it's actually more of a relationship review um, we have people talking about how they feel they can have an honest conversation with their lawyer or they feel supported or their advisors acting as one of their team so mm. more often than not it's those kind of more human elements that actually stand out for them as what a good service looks like. Yeah, that's really interesting because I think you're right. I think people build their perception of a brand by the experience they have interacting with it. You know, it's not all just, you know, logos and creative, Mm. although that that does have a role. Um, I guess my question is, do you, as a marketer, do you have the ability to control that? I mean, presumably, you know, you're not in a position where you can say the lawyers how to act or what to say. Is it more a case of, listening to that and understanding that relationship and trying to amplify it yeah exactly so you're completely right you know we have around sort of 400 partners we've got a partnership model so i say to people i have about 400 bosses (laughs) and i can't sort of tell them all what to do and make sure they all stay on brand and in line with my sort of brand guidelines so when we were looking at this brand refresh we did actually really start with the people um so we did a lot of workshops with our people internally also in terms of the client feedback that we were getting through and as you say we started with those common themes so what did we really hear about our people that was unique maybe to us Mm -hmm. and was felt across our global network we're in 22 different countries but we do definitely have some traits that seem to permeate the the bird Mm. and bird culture quite well so it was all about augmenting those elements in our brand personality and reflecting that as you say rather than um trying to come up with something that maybe some people felt was a bit alien to them yeah Yeah. fair enough that that makes total sense so in terms of the um brand refresh how did you actually play to that human emotional side of things you know what sort of copy did you go with what what was the messaging underlying everything yeah so i mean one example that's quite easy to understand definitely Mm. and you can kind of see everywhere is our strap line we say we're 
one firm, your firm. So just having that you form and speaking directly to the client gives that shot of empathy and tells the clients that we are connecting directly with them rather than keeping it all in the third person with that kind of corporate veneer. Um, We similarly had our brand personality traits coming across everything in terms of our colour palette, which is quite unusual for Mm. a law firm. Um, In law firms, typically, there's a lot of deep blue, which is a signifier of trust. And so you can understand where that comes from, but it all starts to look a bit samey. And we've got some pastel colours in our brand, which people always say to me, how did you get a bunch of lawyers (laughs) to go with that? Um, But actually, it was quite easy because it was a reflection of the bright, curious minds that we have within the business and the same with our imagery as well. So we try and make sure everything is reflecting that brand personality that comes back to our people, um, our tone of voice again. You know, we try and lift the copy, make it a bit more kind of practical, interesting, uh, likeable, etc. that's coming through in the brand. So hopefully it all comes together to give that impression. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think so. So in terms of, I mean, that that's handled, you know, the copy and the, the more creative side of things. But obviously, I, I would imagine it's important to consider the overall marketing strategy here as well. Um, so, you know, what does the customer journey look like? At what point are you delivering certain bits of content? What's the, the next action you want them to take? All that kind of stuff. How does that, um, or how does your brand tie into that or, or vice versa? Yeah, so for us as a relatively small in-house team with a set budget every year, <laughs> um, we take things sort of chunk by chunk. So we've got the uh, the external brand that's out there in the market and that big piece that we did with a website refresh as well. Um, so that was all kind of out. The next thing that we've done over this past year is actually really focusing on our employer brand and define to our own talent what it really means to Mm. be at Bird and Bird. And of course, if there are people who are sort of happy um, and understand, you know, the things that they're getting in their career from their employer, from their firm, they're more likely to do a better job of kind of selling that Mm. um, to prospective clients as well. So that's been our, our next level of focus. And then, as you say, the the client experience piece is something that we're going to be coming back to. You know, this whole project started with the client experience, but now we've done the work around the branding and around our people and our employer brand. We really want to spend this next year really focusing in on that client experience and making sure it feels distinctive and special. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And you mentioned um, employer brand there. Yeah. It's interesting because I think that marketing is, you know, it's, it's on the up and up. It's constantly having more say in different areas of the business. And that, that's a great thing. If you're, you know, sort of moving into that employer brand side of things as well, do you feel like marketing's almost, it's almost having a say in HR now as well? It's, it was a really interesting project, actually, because we did work hand in hand with HR and it was really interesting and quite grounding to make mm. sure that we everything we came up with was linked to what we were seeing demonstrated yeah. in the organisation, the behaviours we wanted to push, etc. So it was a really nice collaboration. It certainly wouldn't have worked if we'd have said, you know, these these brilliant messages that we want to push out. And everybody now needs to act like this, but mm. bringing the two together and having that mutual understanding of, OK, this is our employer brand. This is how we take it out to market in terms of the people we want to recruit. But also this is what we're going to do to focus on the people we really want to retain in a very competitive market um, became a really nice project to work on. So I think we both 
learned a lot about each other's disciplines and there's loads of overlap and loads of good things that we can do together yeah sure in terms of um you know a, a re a, i'll start again <laughs> any kind of brand work is going to be a long-term play mm. you know it's probably not something that's going to deliver some sort of clear metric overnight that you can show to the board and say look it, it's worked mm. um but at the same time you know i, I imagine the board aren't going to be happy if, if you were to just say well let's give it 20 years and, and, see, and see what changes. Mm. So how do you actually measure the success of a rebrand in a, in a tangible way? Mm, yeah, it is definitely a very tricky one. And we tend to do a balance of the quant and the qual. Mm. Um, so on the quant side, yeah, we're looking at the impressions, the website hits, all of those kind of things that we're getting to show that we're getting that presence, we're getting traffic, we're getting people maybe mm. interacting with the brand um, that haven't beforehand or coming through to our channels that haven't beforehand. Um, within the industry, we have um, some providers who will provide that kind of brand rankings, you know, mm -hmm. and, and go and do some research for you to see how you are hopefully permeating uh, the minds of, of busy potential clients across different markets. So we use that as well. And then, yeah, very interestingly, I think the qual still really carries weight. And it often comes from the lawyers themselves when they say, and we have actually had this, you know, I was speaking to a new prospect and they said, wow, you know, your website is so different and mm. so fresh. It's really shows how you're different to other law firms. And it actually helped me decide that I wanted to work with you. So we're never going to put our whole sort of marketing budget on those um, little pieces of feedback but when they come through we feel like we know we're onto a good thing yeah um and that everybody is happy with the direction that we've taken sure so i i suppose my my next question is you have you know you obviously have your existing customers and then you you have your prospects as well um is there an element of risk there because you feel I, I, sorry i would feel that the existing customers presumably quite like your brand because they you know they've joined you in the first place is there an element of risk in that you're changing it? You might mm. kind of upset some some customers or is it? am I overthinking it? Yeah, I think in reality, it's probably more gradual. And again, you know, we're yeah. not a big consumer facing organisation doing a massive campaign. Everything kind of changes overnight. Actually, mm. we were very conscious to do it digitally. You know, you can switch a button and change things around, but there is always going to be some materials and some things that we have within our building, for example, which we're not going to be changing overnight as part of a rebrand. It's more of a, a gradual process. But actually what we found with this was that the refresh of the brand started off because we needed to keep pace with our clients' experience of who we were. So it had been about eight years, I think, since we'd looked at the brand. Um, and we found that actually people were feeding back that we had, you know, very colourful, exciting, interesting people doing brilliant work at the cutting edge. We have a big focus on technology. So we're working on AI, etc. Um, we're working with some of the biggest tech companies. And actually, that wasn't being reflected mm. in the brand. Um, and again, just to use colour palette as an example, you know, we'd had a bit with some slate grey and some darker blues and they were grounding colours but over time it had become more and more prevalent and all of a sudden it started to look more like the corporate more boring dare yeah. I say sort of brand yeah. than we were actually giving off as people yeah um, so there was an element of just actually trying to write that and make sure that we 
caught up with how we changed over the years and also future-proofed ourselves as much as we could within the branding world uh, for the next few years. Sure. Forgive me for this next question because I'm trying to think it as I'm saying it. <laughs> I mean, that makes sense. But um, you've mentioned AI and it's obviously a big topic mm. at the moment. To what degree marketers are genuinely using it in every element of the job, I think kind of remains to be seen. I mean, some maybe, but others obviously less so. Not that I don't think there's one way is right or wrong. Um, but in a, in a world where, where everyone's trying to get their brand to stand out and, and be different, do you think there might be a danger in using AI that all of the content and all the creative becomes quite homogenous? Because if you're using ChatGPT as an example, it, it would seem to me there's a risk that what you produce just ends up sounding like your competitors. Is that something you're consciously thinking about when you're maybe even just considering using AI? Yeah, exactly. And I think this conversation is evolving so rapidly that I myself have an opinion on something one week and then I learn something new and in a couple of weeks I've sort of changed my mm. opinion because it is moving so fast. So I think that's absolutely the case. We were talking in our team of how we've done all this work to try and get a distinctive tone of voice and if everybody is suddenly going to go to uh, open AI, chat GPT, um, freely available and start to ask it to write copy um, based on what it can find on the web generally, it's going to look pretty generic. Mm. And the same with images. We've played a bit with image generation um, and I can already see the types of images that yeah. are coming through often on my LinkedIn feed are created by AI and it all starts to look a bit samey and very different to what I think a lot of creative agencies are putting out at the moment. It always seems a few years behind. Yeah. So that's quite interesting. But I think what we've come to realise is that you can be smarter. You can train it to your own internal instances and feed it with your own brand guidelines, your own materials, if you've got your own sort of instance of the model, um, which we do within the firm. So then it becomes something that's being generated based on what you've got yeah. and your brand guidelines rather than what's out there in the wider market. So I think we're only just scratching the surface of how we can use this and it just changes so quickly. So we're just trying to have a play, be curious, see what works, see what doesn't. And yeah, I'm sure everything will have evolved in a matter <laughs> of months. Yeah, probably, <laughs> probably. But it sounds like you're on the right path. So um yeah. So it, according to our Propolis Community Index, which for our listeners um, who don't know is a real-time dashboard of B2B marketing data, we can see that 47% of B2B marketing leaders have been spending more on brand this year compared to last year. So from my perspective, I, I think that's incredibly interesting because it shows that marketers have the, and I hate this word in a marketing sense, but the bravery um, and, you know, actually being given the license as well to invest in brand in quite a challenging economy, I think it's fair to say. Um, you know, I, as I, I think it's fair to say, you know, marketing budgets are often one of the first things to get cut when times um, when time, times get tough. So from your own point of view, why did you decide to go sort of big on a rebrand in what is fair, I think it's fair to say, is a fairly challenging economy? Yeah, I think within B2B, we probably know, and it's been proven across sort of marketing more generally, that if you invest in brand in a weaker economy, you're likely to get sort of better customer loyalty um, and you're likely to pull away from your competitors when the economy strengthens. So actually, it can be a really good thing to do. I think 
the issue has been bringing internal stakeholders along mm. with that view and kind of getting other people to understand it. But I think that wider understanding is starting to permeate. Maybe as marketing as a discipline becomes a bit more mature, you know, in legal services, I think it was in the 1980s when marketing was actually allowed. So in comparison to, say, consumer marketing, it's only been around for a relatively short period of time. So there's a maturity curve that people are going on and sort of recognising the value of that. Um, For us, it was always a planned project. And I think, as I say, because my stakeholders internally understand the power of brand we have some brilliant brand protection lawyers out there etc it was maybe a bit of an easier ride for me and the fact that they were getting this feedback from clients that our brand wasn't really reflecting who we were um that we still went ahead and carried on with the project um and we continue as i say to to bite chunks off as we go along um but i think it's the right call and i think you know cutting the marketing side and maybe downplaying that in a weaker economy when everything is so competitive within b2b generally can leave you with a bit of a gap that then you're struggling to make up when Mm. times get good do you think that covid changed that or is that am i just looking for connections i think there is maybe something and we we all probably see it where you can't see a general cycle anymore or Mm. Or the cycle is a lot faster. So I think we've all got used to saying, oh, there's economic uncertainty. Oh, are we facing the next recession? And then it kind of balances back out again and all we're back on the up again. That conversation seems to happen a lot quicker than it ever used to sort of previously. So I think there is an element where people get to a state of we're either in perma crisis. (laughs) This is just the environment in which we're doing business. And we make our decisions based on what we think is the sensible thing to do, um, regardless of kind of what's going on yeah. outside. Yeah. Well, I've got one um, final question for you, but um, just a quick note to our audience. Um, if you'd like to learn more about the Populist Community Index, please just follow the link in the description. Um, you can learn more about it there, as well as the, the sort of wider offering that we have within Propolis. Um, so, Sophie, 2024 is now firmly underway. No more sort of Happy New Year messages. Thank God. Um, what are your main goals from a marketing perspective this year and how do you intend to achieve them now that the rebrand is is out of the way? Mm, So we've got an exciting year coming up. We're just embarking on a new five-year strategy. Um, So we're getting started with that. As part of that, we're looking to really increase our presence in some of our geographical markets where we're less well-known. As Mm -hmm. I say, we're in a lot. um, So it, it varies across the network. So we're looking at more targeted campaigns in some specific markets, which is really interesting and really fun because you get to explore which kinds of channels or activities resonate the best in different markets and maybe try a lot of different things within the marketing mix Mm. um, that you might not if you're just focusing on a a sort of national audience. Um, Similarly, our clients are really looking to get to grips with some big, big topics like generative AI, Um, like the implications around ESG there's a lot of regulation coming out around all of that at the moment so we're finding that our lawyers need to work together across their different disciplines to really be helping clients through all of that so we're doing a couple of campaigns this next year around some of these big topics and how they're 
shaping the sectors that we um, advise and then lastly as I say um, a real focus going back to that client experience and now we've done the good work with the brand refresh we know what we're doing in terms of employer brand and that's nicely defined really trying to just finesse some elements of the the client experience so those are some of the things on yeah. the agenda for, for 2024. So not a lot then. No, um, no, just a few small things. <laughs> yeah. Well, Sophie, thank you very much for joining me today and uh, hopefully we'll see you again very soon. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me.